so again i just want to remind you that memorial day weekend is a very it's a very important holiday uh in the uh in our in our in our country and in our culture and so again i just want you to understand that it's not about hot dogs and swimming and and barbecuing and just being off work this is about remembering those who have served our country and those who have served and many made the ultimate sacrifice so i would say that at some point over this weekend take time to pray for the families of those people who gave the ultimate sacrifice and pray for those who are still with us who have given an amazing sacrifice and have served our country and served it well uh, in our very diverse branches of the armed forces. So again, uh, I just really want to remember that. And I just hate that the video didn't play this morning, but again, it's just kind of part of what we're dealing with right now. Well, at the end of last week, well, let me welcome those that are joining us online, because as you can tell by the auditorium, that must be a lot of people, right? So I anyway, I estimated this morning, I said, what do you think today's going to be like? They said, well, I don't know if anybody's going to be here, because it looks like everybody's at the beach. And I was like, well, I'm not at the beach, I'm here. And if you're joining us online, whether that's on Facebook Live or listening to us at CrossroadsLebanon.com, we are welcoming you. And again, if you're watching us on Facebook, we would ask you, comment below, let us know where you're watching from, if it's Santa Rosa or Miami or South Beach or wherever you have the money to take you and go enjoy yourself uh, but again let us know so we can kind of uh, relish in the place that you're at and kind of pretend we're there after we get out of church okay so again comment below if you have a prayer request we have a team of people who loves to pray with you so you can leave that prayer request in the comment section if it's too personal there are instructions there that you may you know you may not want everybody to know what you're needing prayer for you can send that prayer request to that uh, email address that you see there uh, in the comment section and we'll be glad to pray with you and to pray for you we honestly have uh, several people who are sick who are dealing with sickness and uh, honestly with covid uh, three or four people that i know in our in our church that are dealing with that and trying to get over that so again uh, if you're one of those people who need prayer always let us know what that is you can send us a prayer request anytime at info at crossroadslebanon.com on Sunday mornings. Always take the time to fill that out on your tear-off. There's a prayer request part on the back of that, and that's the part that's most valuable to us because, again, we have a team of people that love to pray with you and to pray for you. Last week, uh, as we were leaving in a very quick manner, I said, hey, next week we're not going to be in a series. Uh, we're not going to dive right back. And, and part of the reason why I didn't want to do that is because I knew a lot of people would be out. And then they would kind of get lost with where we were going. So I said, you know what, we're not going to dive right back into a series. So today is kind of what I call, I, I call it a one-off. It's just a single message. It's a standalone message. But again, even though it's a standalone message, I think it's so important. Because it has a strong connection to what we talked about in the Set Free series. And listen to what I'm about to say, because you'll, you'll know when I address this. Not only does it have a strong connection to the Set Free series that we just came out of, but it has a very strong connection to one of the events that happened in our country this week. You know, I, I look back and I can remember several months ago before I started this intermittent fasting. Has anybody ever done that? Uh, it's, you know, where you just don't eat during certain hours. Well, I, I usually stop at 7 o'clock in the evening, and I don't eat till 11 o'clock the next morning. And I do that. I've been very successful. I've only broken that a couple of times, and both times I broke it was because of special meetings that I was having. But, uh, but a couple of uh, months ago, several months ago before I started this, I was in a local restaurant, and the server who was taking care of me 
asked me, he said, hey, would you like some coffee with your breakfast? Now, I'm just going to be in, uh, go ahead and admit to you this morning, I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a sniffer. Okay, I like to smell coffee. That's what I like to do. I just like the smell of it. I mean, I, I can tell you that when I worked for Kroger, I worked for Kroger for about uh, 12 years, one of my favorite things was to work the coffee aisle, especially, I don't know if they even have that there anymore because I don't go there much, but I used to like to work around the, the machine that ground the coffee beans because any time they were grinding the coffee bean, the smell of the coffee was just amazing. I just love the smell of coffee. And, and again, I never got used to the taste of coffee. But for me, unlike for most of you, it was the smell of coffee that was so addicting. And, 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 I, and one of the things I love about coffee, and I remember in my childhood, and, and some of this, I mean, you're really going to date yourself, but does anybody remember watching anybody drink coffee from a saucer? Yeah, my granddad, I used to love watching my granddad, we called him Paul Paul. Paul Paul would pour a hot cup of coffee and then he would kind of tilt the coffee cup over and it would kind of dribble onto the saucer and he would blow on it and then he would drink it from the saucer. Again, when I, when I think about coffee, I think about the addiction that many of you have because coffee is so addicting that many of you will drive miles out of your way to get the perfect cup of coffee that you want. As a matter of fact, we had our family over for breakfast yesterday, most everybody in the family. And again, that's a whole other story. I'm, I'm about peopled out. Can I just say that? Can anybody say, yeah? I mean, I mean we've had people, people, and people, and, 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 and everybody was there. And I made coffee the night before and set the coffee maker so it would make coffee on Saturday morning and everybody would have coffee when they came in the door. But instead of everybody drinking my coffee, everybody brought in their cups from Duncan. Everybody had gone to Duncan. Everybody had a cup from Duncan because yesterday, apparently, can anybody verify this? The Starbucks app was not working. So they could not order from Starbucks and go there and pick it up. So they said, you know what, we'll order from Dunkin' and we'll go there and pick it up. So everybody came in with a cup from Dunkin'. And as a matter of fact, some of you probably have a cup with you in here this morning. I haven't seen any yet, but I know probably somebody in the auditorium has that. Again, people love coffee. And here's the thing. I've never been a Starbucks person. I've never been a Dunkin' person. But one of the things that I can tell you, even though I'm not a Starbucks fan, I've always been intrigued by the Starbucks phenomena. And, and one of the things that intrigues me is, is the way that places like Starbucks and Dunkin' and the Split Bean, Bongo Java in Nashville, Fido's Barista Parlor, Crema. The, the thing that intrigues me about a coffee shop is that in our culture, they have become such a gathering place. I mean, they have become, a coffee shop has become a place where people, they just feel comfortable, even during COVID, they, they felt comfortable meeting and having real in-depth conversations. And again, you've heard me say this before, I have grown up to be a people watcher. And I used to love to go to the mall when we had a mall, and, and you could sit there and just watch the people. But one of the things that I've learned is that if you want to really watch people, there's no better place to go than a coffee house. Because it seems that when you enter some of these, I mean, they're really pretty cool. They're really trendy, these trendy coffee houses. 
there are always interesting people in the coffee house. And what's really even more interesting is that if you look at these people, they're really having very in-depth conversations. And those coffee house type of places, they kind of serve as a reminder. A reminder that if, if you want to encounter life to the full, then you need to do life with people. If you want to encounter life, then you can't just go through life and, and not associate with people, but you have to go through life and engage with people. You want to engage with people, then visit a, hop, a coffee house. Because when you visit a coffee house, that's exactly the thing that you're going to see. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at the life of Jesus. And more specifically, I want us to see Jesus engaging with people. And, and I want to talk this morning about a conversation. Uh, a re really, it's an encounter that Jesus had with somebody. And, and this is this encounter, this conversation that we find recorded in Scripture. And again, when you think about Scripture, Scripture is full of some interesting encounters that Jesus has with people. As a matter of fact, many of the encounters that Jesus had with people, those encounters were life-changing. And not only were they life-changing, most of those encounters might be classified as what I call a defining moment. I mean, many of the encounters that we find through the, throughout the life of Jesus, they're so defining that books have been written about them. Or commentaries have been written about those life-defining moments that Jesus is having with certain people. I mean, again, we're talking about encounters that, that are so important and so big that those encounters and those conversations, those were the things, like for me, those were the things that teachers taught me when I was growing up in Sunday school. But here's what's interesting. Many of the conversations, many of the encounters that people had with Jesus, they started with a simple conversation. The kind of conversation that I would see tomorrow morning if I was looking at two people who were in Starbucks having a conversation. And that conversation ended up being what I call a defining moment. Now, now you hear me use the word defining moment, and, and, and really, it, 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 might make yourself, it might make you ask this question. I'm going to put the question up on the screen so that you can see it behind me. As long as the computer works, stuff will be up there. What makes a conversation a defining moment? Because again, what we see in Scripture is Jesus would have an encounter with somebody, and that encounter would involve a conversation, but that conversation and that encounter would become a defining moment. And it makes you just naturally wonder, okay, Randy, when you talk about a defining moment, what do you mean when you say a defining moment? And I'm going to tell you, when I say a defining moment, and you're asking what a defining moment, and using that as your question because you want to know, I'm going to tell you, that's a good question, because here is exactly what I mean when I say a defining moment. Look at the screen again behind me. Here's what a defining moment is. A defining moment to me, especially as it relates to Scripture and what we're talking about this morning, is when the truth 
comes front and center. A defining moment is when truth comes front and center. A defining moment is the time that we are exposed to a truth, that that truth is so amazing that it has the potential to take our breath away. Because you see, it's in that moment that you have the opportunity to embrace the truth that has been brought front and center. And if you embrace the truth, your life will never be the same. Now, let, let me just say this. Let me stop right there. Before we dive into our text this morning, the scripture that we're going to look at, I want to unpack something, an idea. Because I think it's this idea that's going to actually help some of you as we get just a little further down the road. Because one of the things that I have noticed about people, people today and people in Scripture, one of the things that I have noticed is the way that people look at God. Because see, here's the thing. Oftentimes, you look at God different than He really is. That's the way people are today. We, we see Him as somebody who is different than He really is. And that's something that happens to us in our culture today. But I guess maybe kind of the encouraging thing is that was also something that happened in the culture of Jesus. Let me, let, let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you have, and I, and I have people talk to me about this probably once a month. If you have the idea that every time something goes wrong in your life, if you have the idea that in some way, shape, form, or fashion, God is getting back at you for doing something wrong, then consequently you have to understand you're never going to trust your Heavenly Father. I mean, if we think about it, that's probably something that you've seen in the news lately because it doesn't matter what's going on. There's always some aspect of terror that you're going to see anytime that you turn on the news. See, if you ask somebody who committed an act of terror, if you go to them and you were to ask them maybe one-on-one, -on -one, why did you do this? Why, why, why did he do this? Why did she do this? As it relates to whatever they did, the act of terror, they're probably going to tell you that they believe this about God or they believe that about God or they don't believe there is a God or they believe God told them to commit that act of terror. And the reason why they would say that goes back to what I just said. They have a distorted view of God and who God is. Well, here's something I think we all need to realize this morning. When Jesus was on the earth, things weren't much different then than they are now. Because Jesus lived in a culture like our culture, a culture that had lots of misconceptions, lots of distortions about life, but especially there were lots of distortions and misconceptions when it came to God. Because I guess you could say that in that culture, like this culture, they had their own distorted view of God and who God was. 
And we have to realize that Jesus lived and walked in a world that really isn't any different from the world that you and I live in now. It's the very reason that Jesus said, I came to the world to explain God. I have come to the, from the Father. This is what he said. He, I mean, I'm paraphrasing it here. I've come from the Father to explain the Father because the Father doesn't want to be a mystery to you. He wants you to understand him and to know him for who he is and not for who you have made him up to be. So this whole idea of truth is important because here's the thing. Jesus came to show us truth. The problem that so many of us have is that sometimes it's hard for us to accept these truths. Even though Jesus would explain the truth. Sometimes when God confronts us with truth, it can be so unnatural that when God confronts us with the truth, I've used this example before, it's like standing in front of a bright, giant light. And even though that light shows us things that we haven't seen before, we can honestly be more comfortable if we went back to the dark. But here's what's interesting. We know that the light will show us the truth. And the light and the truth will set us free from our distortions and misconceptions. The light will set us free from things like fear and guilt and shame. But here's the thing. You have to stand in the light. You can't run from it. You have to stand in the light of the truth. And here's what we're about to see happen. We're about to dive into a conversation. We're about to dive into an encounter. We're about to dive into a defining moment where this guy is going to get blinded. Blinded by the light. Do you remember that song? Some of you don't because I'm an 80s person, okay? Blinded by the light. This guy's going to get blinded by some pretty bright light. And the truth that this dude is about to be exposed to, just listen to what I'm saying. It was hard for them to take then. It was hard for them to swallow then. And it's equally as hard for people to swallow now. Here's the truth. Look at the screen behind me. The truth is this, and it's hard for some of you to take. Good people don't go to heaven. Good people do not have the promise of eternal life. Now, we're going to leave that up there because I want you to see that because some of you right now in this auditorium, some of you watching online, some of you listening online who heard me say that, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. do what? And again, I get it. I understand that. Because we've grown up in a culture that makes us feel like, you know, if I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. If I do good things, I'm going to go to heaven. But the simple truth, the bright light that I'm shining in your face right now is actually from Scripture. And we're going to look at it in just a moment. And you need to understand, good people don't go to heaven. And good people don't have the promise of eternal life. 
And that makes you uncomfortable. Because that light of truth is bright. And I understand it's a lot more comfortable for you to walk out of the light and go back to the darkness. Because you want to believe that when I do good things, I'm a good person. And a good person is going to go to heaven. But that's not true. Just like now, people say, wait, wait, wait. It's the same thing they said in Jesus' day. John chapter 3 is the story of Nicodemus. And again, if you're new to this story of Nicodemus, something that's really interesting about the story of Nicodemus is this is the place where we first hear the phrase, to be born again. This is where the phrase, to be born again, comes from. And I thought this message would be a great follow-up to our Set Free series. So let's dive in. John chapter 3, verse 1. And here's what John says. And let me, just, let me just interject this before we get started. There are some things that John does. And again, there's a personal part of this story that John tells that, that he makes sure that we understand some very important things. He wants us to make sure we understand some very important things. So he uses certain words and certain phrases. And not only does he use certain words and certain phrases, he takes time to kind of call a time out, and he interjects his own perspective on the life of Jesus and the story of Nicodemus. Here's what he says, John chapter 1, verse 1, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jew, this is, this is important, the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, that's important, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Now, the very first thing, the very, in the very first verse, what we, po- what, we, what we read points out something that we need to know. Nicodemus was a member, listen, listen, of the Jewish ruling council. And the Jewish ruling council was a group of people who represented the Jews to Rome, and they represented Rome to the Jews or the people of Israel. Because during this time in history, the Romans were ruling over the Jews. So here's the thing you have to understand. Nicodemus was a guy who had a very important job. It's the job of Nicodemus to keep the Romans happy with the Jews and to keep the Jews happy with the Romans. And here's what I want you to understand. As long as Nicodemus did a good job, the Romans would pay him really, really well. So the Roman governors took very good care of this council, the Jewish ruling council. And knowing that they were taken care of, it kind of implies or it kind of tells us that Nicodemus was a very wealthy man. Not only was he a wealthy man, he was a smart man, and he was a very well-connected man. So Nicodemus is this guy who who has just gone to Jesus in what we've read in those verses. He's gone to Jesus, and in going to Jesus, he has a lot at stake. Because the last thing that Nicodemus wants 
is another religious leader like Jesus to come in and stir things up. So to make sure that that doesn't happen, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And then you hear Nicodemus use the word rabbi. And let me tell you why he would use the word rabbi, because the word rabbi is is really a term of respect. For some reason, he thought that he should refer to Jesus as honored teacher, honored teacher, because he follows that up by saying, we know that you are from God. Rabbi, we, we, we know because we've watched you. We, we've listened to you. We know that you're from God. And, and again, you think about the words of Nicodemus and you start to realize that this is the place that many of us are as it relates to Jesus. I mean, statistics and surveys will tell us that this is the place that many Americans are. We're exactly like Nicodemus in so many ways. Because what Nicodemus has said in the verses that we've already read, he's basically said, and I'm paraphrasing it, Jesus, I've been watching you. I've been listening to you. I've heard you say things, and I've seen you do things. And Jesus, I'm coming to you because I believe there's something special about you. And that you are probably someone who has come from God. And again, think about that, because that's the way many of us, whether you're here in the auditorium or listening or watching online, that's the way that many of us feel as it relates to Jesus. There's there's something special about Jesus. There's something about Jesus that intrigues us. So in many ways, we're just like Nicodemus. We're interested But let's pick up at the next verse. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, here's the phrase, unless they are born again. And look at how Nicodemus responds. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And here's the connection I, I, I said that this kind of connected to the set free series. When Jesus says born again, he's saying something has to happen. Something new has to happen. There, there's something new that has to happen in the life of a person. Because when you look at the day of Jesus and the time of Jesus and the culture of Jesus, If you were Jewish in that day, here's what it meant. It meant that you're automatically in. You were already in. If you were related to Abraham, you were in. But here's what Jesus comes along and says to Nicodemus. He comes along and says, but now you need to understand, Nicodemus, just because you're uh, related to Abraham, just because you're Jewish, that's not good enough. Being born of Abraham is not good enough. So what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, the words of Jesus ran totally contrary to everything that Nicodemus had grown up knowing. It's everything he knew. It's against everything he knew. And if you were to ask Nicodemus, 
what he thought personally about what Jesus has just said, he would tell you, I, I can almost guarantee you, he would tell you that the light of the truth that Jesus has just spilt and shined on his life, it's, it's so bright, it's so, un, it's, I'm not used to it, it's so bright, I'm, I'm just out of here. Because I was more comfortable with what I thought than what it is that Jesus is saying. But, but it's like Nicodemus says, well, I'm just going to stop here. And it's almost like Nicodemus reconsiders. It's like Nicodemus says, well, maybe, maybe there's something that I'm missing. Maybe Jesus is right. Look at John chapter 3, verse 9. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. How can this be? Is what Nicodemus says. In other words, what Nicodemus says is, the light of the truth that Jesus has just shined on to me is so bright. But even though it's bright, I'm not running from the light. I'm not running away. I'm not arguing. I'm just saying that I don't get it. And see, here's one of the reasons why I think this would have been difficult for Nicodemus, because it's equally as difficult for us. This is exactly the thing that's running through the mind of Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was looking into his culture, into the people around him, and he was seeing people, that there were people who did really bad things. I mean, there, there were like number 10 on the scale of 1 to 10. And then there were people who did medium kind of bad things. Like they're on a scale of 1 to 10, they're like a 5. And then there are other people who did, you know, kind of some little bad things. Like a 2 on the scale of 1 to 10, or a 1 on the scale of 1 to 10. There are people in his world, like people in our world, who do those itty-bitty bad things, those things that are so small that it's like they don't even matter. Because here's the thing, you, you, you think like I do. I do little things that are bad, but, 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 you know, I'm a good person. So in the course of life, I do some really good things. And then I do some medium-sized good things. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, then naturally I buy into the premise or the thought that I'm going to make it, that I'm in. I did more good than bad, so I'm good, and that means I'm going to make it. But see, in that culture, if you were related to Abraham, that meant you were in. You were so in. And again, when you think about all of what I've said, it makes so much common sense that people never pushed back on it. They never explored it. But I want us to stop and take a minute and see the holes that exist when this is the way that we think. And I'm talking about the theory of good people go to heaven. 
Now, let me say this. I'm not, trying, I'm not here this morning trying to convince you about Christianity. I'm not trying to convince you about Christianity. I just want to show you that there are major problems with believing that good people go to heaven. Here, here's one of the problems. Look, look at the screen behind me. One of the problems is there's no standard of what good is. If you believe that good people go to heaven, then you have to also understand there's no clear standard of goodness. If you believe that good people go to heaven, then you have to know what good is. In, in other words, how good is good enough? If good people go to heaven, then God's got to make it clear. God's got to show us the way that this works. I mean, think about it. If good people go to heaven, don't you think he owes us that? But here's the truth. That information has not been made available to us. See, I know people right now who believe that, 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 that their standard of goodness is the Bible. That's the Bible is goodness. Bible good. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to live my life by the good book. The Bible is the target. Now, can I just say this to you this morning? If the Bible is your target, you will never be good enough. If the people who do what the Bible says go to heaven, then none of us are going. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Here's what it says. Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you die, listen to me this morning. When you die, God isn't going to come up to you and ask you, did you do what the Bible says? Did you keep the law? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. See, that's not what the law is for. The law, it's through the law that we understand and become conscious of our sins. The law exists not for you to keep it, but the law exists to remind you how much of a sinner you are. If the law is your standard, then we have to understand there are no good people. See, again, if you don't think Christianity is fair because all people don't get in, then you have a worse problem believing that good people get into heaven. I mean, talk about not fair. We don't even know what the standard is. I mean, talk about unfair. It's like a teacher who says there's going to be a test at the end of the semester. Welcome to class. This is the start of the semester. Welcome to class. At the end of the semester, there's going to be a test. And at the end of that test, it's going to be pass or fail. Thank you very much. I'll see you at the end of the semester. Well, wait a minute. Are there any notes? Are you going to give us anything to prepare for the test? Is there any material that we need to look or that we need to run through, that we need to understand? And the answer to those questions from the professor or the teacher is no, no, and no. So you, you mean, professor, you're going to give us a, 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 a test at the end of the semester, and we have no idea what's on it. That's exactly what I mean. 
That's how crazy this idea is. If you're honest and you think good people go to heaven, then you have no earthly idea where you stand with God. Again, it's an unjust system, and it breaks down with just the smallest bit of analysis. Because what Jesus was talking about was something totally different. Jesus is saying to, to, to Nicodemus, you will never enter the kingdom until you're born again. You will never enter the kingdom until you receive new life. And new life, that new life that Jesus is speaking about, it has nothing to do with the things that you've been trusting in. Because you're not going to get to heaven by being good. You're not going to get to heaven by keeping the law. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you get to heaven by placing your faith in me, the Son of God. That's what Jesus was saying. But now listen to this, listen, listen to this point. Instead of running away from this truth, which Nicodemus could have done, he stayed right there in the bright light of this truth. When, when the truth was presented to him, and Nicodemus could have run back inside where it was dark, back inside where it was nice and comfortable, Nicodemus makes a choice to stand there in the light of that truth. And here's what's interesting. John is the one who wrote this book. John takes his time and he interjects his own thoughts. And it's the thoughts of John. It's, it's kind of the summary statement of the whole conversation that had gone on between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's this total encounter between these two people. That's the place where we get what is probably the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. For here's what John wrote in John chapter 3. He says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict, John says. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now listen to me this morning. Man gets into heaven 
not by his good works. But man gets into heaven by the single good work of Jesus Christ. Right now, today, I didn't watch any news this morning. Honestly, I just don't tell you. I don't watch the news much anymore, but I'm going to tell you this. Right now, the topic at the forefront of many people's minds in our country is to correct things by making more laws. That's all you're going to hear about. That's all you're going to see. Right now, people want to correct the behavior of people by making more laws. In other words, we bought into this idea that laws are going to make people better. But listen to me this morning. That's not what we need. We don't need people to be made better. We need what we see in John chapter 3. We need people to be made new. And people are made new only one way. And that's through Jesus. Listen to me this morning. When a person repents and comes to Christ, God doesn't change what they do. He changes what they want to do. He changes their affections and he changes their desires. And how does he do that? He does that by changing the heart. Because it's the heart. That's exactly the thing that Jesus is speaking about here. That evening, that conversation. That encounter ended up being a defining moment in the life of Nicodemus. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you this. You don't even hear about Nicodemus again until the very end of the Bible. Because you see, after Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus was the one who showed up to help with the body of Jesus. Because over time, Nicodemus had learned that Jesus didn't just come from God. But Jesus was who he says he was. He was the Son of God. And let me just tell you this morning, whether you're here or watching and listening online, that's the very thing that some of you are still considering. And like Nicodemus, I'm going to tell you this morning, I don't think you should run away from this. So this morning, would you, would you be willing to say, I don't really get this, but I'm willing to let this get all over me long enough so that I can actually consider it. That's what I'm asking. Would you be willing to consider this? Because every one of you who is smart enough, you understand that a system of doing good, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't make sense because honestly, if you stand back, you can look at the system of good people go to heaven and you can just poke holes 
all in that system. And here's what you're going to discover. The message of Jesus Christ, it's not that good people go to heaven, but that forgiven people go to heaven. And forgiveness is found only through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's something that some of you have been considering for a long time. And here's what I want you to do this morning. I just want you to close the deal. Because it's not about what you do. It's what Jesus has already done for you. See, I can't put my trust in what I've given money-wise. I can't put my trust in my good deeds. I can't even put my trust in my church attendance. I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus came to be my Savior. So I'm going to place all my trust in Him, in Jesus, and what He did on the cross. Because on the cross, He died in my place so that I could live. See, here's what I want you to hear me say. Something in your life has to happen. And Jesus tells us, you have to be born again. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning, please? Maybe this morning you put your trust everywhere else but the place that it needs to be. Maybe you've been considering and seeing Jesus as an intriguing individual, a good guy, a teacher, a prophet. Maybe today you need to place your faith in him for who he really is. Your leader, your forgiver, your savior, your friend. Maybe right now where you are, whether it's in this auditorium, in your office, at your home, on the beach. Maybe you've been one of those people who for a, while, a long time, a while, has been considering placing your faith in Jesus. Why don't you just close the deal today? Why don't you let what happened in this encounter, this defining moment with Nicodemus and Jesus, why don't you let it get all over you long enough so that you can understand and believe Jesus for who he really is. Wherever you are, silently just pray, God, right now, even with questions, even with things I don't understand, my hope and my prayer is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that in his name and because of his sacrifice, I can experience salvation. I can be born again. I, bec I become a new person. I can walk away from the life I've been living, and I can walk in a newness of life. God, would you forgive me the sins that I've committed? And in this moment, God, I'm going to look to you as the author and the finisher of my faith. Again, believing that Jesus is everything he said he was, and that he will do everything that he says he will do in my life your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you've made that decision and you have uh, a worship guide, there's a tear-off there where you can write your personal information and you can indicate on that that you have made that decision, a first-time decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
if you don't have a tear-off, then drop me an email, randy, R-A-N-D-Y, at crossroadslebanon.com, and let me know you made that decision, because we want to lead you into the next step, which is baptism. We'll be doing that in the month of June. God, for the rest of us, help us to understand, to help us see that it's not about works. It's not about good deeds, but it's all about what's already been done for us. You didn't change what I did, but you changed what I wanted. And out of a life lived in faith with Jesus. Good works, good deeds are going to come. But the good deeds are not what's going to get you into heaven because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiving people. People who have been forgiven in the name of Jesus. And it's in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray this prayer this morning. we stand to our feet.
my strength is in you, Lord. Let's sing this together. All my strength is in you, Lord. Now my heart will sing your praise. No. 